For great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts, the TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. You're listening to Germ Warfare with Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Germ Warfare at tntradio.live. It's my email address. As always, thank you to those who send me emails. And Happy New Year. Happy 2024. Hope it's a great year. <sighs> Hope it's better than 2023. I am looking forward to the next pandemic. I hope you are. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, the next uh, the next global lockdown. What a What a great opportunity we have don't we jump into the live chat uh as always say hi also and if you are watching through the video live streams that we have now i don't know where they're all are youtube and rumble find all the links on tnt's website all right alex happy new year to you too my friend let's let's jump into the show my name is germ this is germ warfare the battle of ideas it's the stuff it's that division people are talking about and that cluelessness that they want to push today's news talk radio tnt it's been a while chris waldberger thank you for joining me in the trenches and happy 2024 to you my friend thank you very much jeremy for having me um yeah i think this is my second appearance on your show uh perhaps about a year ago i was on last so it's um uh, great to be invited back first guest of 2024 I'm very, very privileged, and I think it's going to be a big year. So uh, maybe we'll look back on this moment and think uh, think like we did at the beginning of 2020 and, and uh, look back and, uh, and see a, a brief period of calm before another storm, as you mentioned in the, in the introduction. I'll tell you what, uh, speaking of storms, I wish we had one here in Cape Town. Uh, I know you're in Kenya. and uh, I'm in Kenya, yeah. I don't, I don't know what the weather's like there. Right now, it is 37 degrees Celsius. It is blistering hot here. Oh, wow. We we are where I am. It's moderate 20 degrees most days. The sun comes out. It's warm. If it goes behind the cloud, it's chilly. We've had a lot of rain, uh, which apparently is due to El Nino. So everything is bright, bright green. No, it's not El Nino. It's because you are using light bulbs and driving an internal combustion car, Chris. Stop doing that. Don't you don't you uh, want to save Earth, Chris? <laughs> yeah, I, I I try a little bit every now and then. Um, you know, I always I, I catch a bit of flack from friends around here for my for my um, global war- warming skepticism. And the irony is I don't actually own a car. I don't I don't I, I don't I don't drive a car, um, which is always funny when when uh, when my climate change uh, uh, brainwashed friends and and acquaintances uh, get upset with my views but but that's that's always been at the heart of it for me is <laughs> if you really believed in it you wouldn't live the way you do and none of them yeah. none of them none of them do from the top down um uh you know where you can say well maybe they're just hypocrites but at some point somebody has to follow through for it to have any mm. credibility uh, well, listen. I apologise if I start sweating during this during the course of our conversation. It's because just as we went live, as you know, I had a huge power failure. This is Africa at the moment. I don't have enough power running on the. I think the inverters are, are currently on, so I, my aircon now is no longer running. <laughs> so it is oh, proper hot in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we. I'm, I've got a generator here, but we don't have load shedding uh, up here as much as as much as South Africa does. Except we had a we had a we had a kind of a nationwide power cut because some wind 
wind plant failed on, on one of the on one of our big lakes. Yeah, which which I found a, a little bit amusing. Chris, let's talk about this new book of yours, Rage and Love. You just released it, haven't you? Or you're about to? No, it's out. It's out. It's uh, it's on Amazon now. Uh, for you know, hoping to expand maybe different platforms for for people to buy it on. But you you can get it in two ways. You can you can simply be a paid subscriber on my Substack, chriswaldbigger.substack.com. Sorry to plug here. Um, but uh, then um, then you can order it on Amazon. A little bit of a difficulty at the moment is for South African friends and followers because obviously it's quite difficult to order a print copy from Amazon uh, in terms of self-publishing or, or I think anything actually because um, of the import taxes. But you can still do it and it's quite low price that it's not, it's not too hefty to order and, and have a little bit of a waiting period. I am wondering if when Amazon launches Amazon Cape Town, whether that, that might help that. But overall, it's on Kindle. It's, it's ebook direct to, to Kindle, uh, hoping for maybe an audiobook later in the year. But yeah, it sounds, it sounds a little bit grand, the title, Rage and Love, uh, a memoir of white South Africa in an age of destruction. But, you know, after, after the last few years, uh, I decided to go big. Uh, I also decided, contrary to kind of my initial in inclinations, to, to write something quite personal, not because I, I'm a grand personage during this time or, or my life is is, is incredible or unique or, or I'm kind of a great man in the making, not at all. I think the opposite is true. It's because I think my experience as a white South African, as a white English speaking South African is, is, um, is a good every man example of, of, of the glory of life in South Africa, the heartbreak, the pain, the chaos, the joy, uh, and and I'm hoping that as a as an everyman, uh, many many other readers can connect with it who've had similar experiences, who've grown up uh, with a similar background to me, but also people who have no idea. And and as I've travelled a little bit, I've realised that people really do have no idea, even down to the basic demographics of South Africa, or the history of white South Africa, or the history of racial relations, or how we live. There's there's just a lot of cluelessness around the world, which which hopefully I can do go a little way in solving, uh, not just in and of itself, because I'm, you know, as as you know, and as many people like us have discussed, South Africa is important in the in the global regime. It's, you know, as Ernst von Zale of AfriForum says, it's a laboratory. It's, uh, or as I say in my book, I, I use the word, it's a vanguard to use some kind of Marxist uh, language. That, and so I think it's important for people around the world to engage with, with what life is like in South Africa. And if, if uh, Western or European or Anglo life is being demonized around the world, I mean, it did, it did start. First, they came for white South Africans, you know, in a certain sense. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. A few weeks ago, um, somebody on X said that uh, because I'm white, I cannot be African. And it's such a strange concept to me because just three months ago, my wife and I were in Europe and I can guarantee you, Chris, 100%, I'm not European by any stretch of the imagination. I am completely African in actual fact, so much so that their system, you know, doesn't want me there longer than a certain period of time, hence having a visa. 
you know, I have to leave Europe. I have no connection to Europe whatsoever. Uh, culturally, even the languages are, are completely different to me. And you are just as African as I am, yet there's this weird cultural opposition to that from certain sectors. I, I think I'm quite comfortable in, in identifying my heritage and maybe because I, you know, my father, my father's side is only second generation South African, but, but, but even on my mother's side, which partly is Irish uh, in descent, but partly also long-term South African settler. I'm quite comfortable personally with, with acknowledge. Well, I mean, I'm sure that's just the reality genetically who we are. We, 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 we are definitely European stock, but but I mean, you know, I think like Robert Dagen says, the difference in South Africa, there's, we're all settlers to some extent in South Africa or in Africa. It's just, did you cross salt water or fresh water? Because the, you know, Bantus in South Africa are also settlers. Bantus in Kenya are also settlers. They're, they're originally um, from West Africa. And you have the Indian diaspora in, um, in Africa, in South Africa. Uh, you have the, the European diaspora. You have the African diaspora all around the world. Yeah, well, certainly in, in the Americas. So I think what it is, is it comes down to, uh, in South Africa at least, it comes down to just a general hatred of, of, of whites. Yes. It's, yeah. Uh, that's what it is. And it's a rhetorical tool uh, more than anything. Let's talk about... Um so I haven't read your book, but I, I've got the general outline of your book. So you're going to have to walk me through it a little bit. But in, in your book, you, you talk about uh, the impact of apartheid ending. Well, you know, I, my earliest memories, uh, I, was, I was born in 1986. So almost, almost 38, turning 38 this year. And my earliest memories, I mean, I can distinctly remember my mother talking to the neighbor across the road when, when I was growing up in Cape Town about Mandela is about to be released. Uh, I can, I can remember, um, I can remember a minute of silence for all the violence that was happening. in. I think it was around 1991, 1992, when we had a minute of silence in my school. Uh, and so a lot of people, and it, it's come out more and more, but a lot of people, you know, that we, we speak about the South African miracle, um, um, the, the futures in another country, uh, there's one famous book, I think, by Alistair Sparks and, and the, you know, the Mandela or the Madiba magic. But people forget just how intensely violent the 1980s and 1990s was. And that's how the book opens, by just, by just uh, contextualizing what it was like to grow up in the 90s in, in South Africa with what was happening in the 80s. And what was happening in the 80s, I mean, the major political event was the ANC People's War, which saw, I think it came up to about 20,000 people killed. And, and I recall not being able to travel up the N2, you know, one of the main South African highways, because they were stoning cars. And, and that was that was only a little bit, a little part of it. The real chaos was happening in, in Natal townships and in, in various places around Johannesburg. And just something as, as, as factual as, as, statistical as the as the the body count during apartheid which was acknowledged by the truth and reconciliation commission and the south african human rights council commission 
you know, that it was, a, I think, 22,000 dead due to political violence through the, through the whole of apartheid. And direct action of the security police was a couple of thousand, maybe, maybe less. Um, so there was absolute chaos happening, uh, happening outside of the so-called white areas. But I mean, when I was born, the, the Group Areas Act was over completely. The color bar was over. Um, and it was in that background then that you you kind of a, you grow up in the in the magic of of the new dispensation. This great hope for a, a new type of rainbow politics. South Africa was going to you know was going to be the great example. There was talk of us advising the rest of the world about how to reconcile. But basically, what eventually happens is the chaos that was largely based in the townships eventually just moves encroaches further and further and. And what, what happened in the 80s and 90s, largely a, de a destruction of all sense of order, of all sense of respect for family, for authority, has just meant we, you know, eventually 1990s, 2000s, although the political violence dies down, we have this slow burn of, of intense crime. And then obviously, as the ANC takes more and more power over, over state institutions, uh, state collapse, but I try to tell that in a in a human way because I'm sure you've got similar similar memories of just how privileged and and I don't use privilege in kind of this guilt uh, shaming sense, but how privileged we were to grow up like we did in South Africa, the sense of freedom we had growing up, the the, the beauty of our country, the 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 sense of togetherness. Uh, and, and I think we, we held out for, uh, for our childhood was, you know, I lived in Europe for a year and it's 100% it's certain that nothing like my childhood is being replicated in Europe today um, of, mm. that, of that wandering the, the streets barefoot. Um, but then feeling and the kind of the, the, that's the love part of the book. And then the rage is, is how that is disdained and so carelessly discarded through the years uh, until ultimately it, it comes under the same assault that 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 so many places around the world did in 2020. And, and that's what the, the COVID event was to me. It was an assault on joy, on life, on, uh, on productivity, on on, on the on the goodness of existence. I mean, the the to me, that's what the mask was a symbol of. And so the book opens with me sitting in a in a on a bench in a in a medieval village in France, and it's a, one of those preserved places where tourists go. And I go swimming in the lake uh, with my children, and then I'm there holding this mask, and I'm seeing these different types of people walk around, and I think, you know. What is what is what has happened <laughs> in the past year, the past twenty years, and so the book is a, is about going into that and just sharing the rage and love, the glory, the destruction that was growing up as a white South African, uh, and then moving into resurgent leftism that was wokeness that I lived through in a, in a particular way as a teacher uh, in school during that time. And well, I mean, it was all centered on twenty twenty, wasn't it? So Black Lives Matter, COVID, um, decay of state institutions, and like we said at the beginning, really living out what many people believe to be the future of, of, of the West. Mm. Chris, just hold on one moment. I'm going to quickly cut to a break. My name is Jim. This is TNT Radio.
You should hear what Ross Cameron is talking about. I see there's a new trend taking place, sweeping uh, the internet of what they're calling sort of technology naked walks, where you go for a walk without your iPhone, without uh, a headset, and just alone with your thoughts. Apparently some people are finding it quite emotionally taxing, but subsequently liberating. Uh, Certainly I find if I get into a motor vehicle with a teenager, it's a matter of seconds uh, before there is a request for uh, usually the latest uh, Taylor Swift song or some other form of electronic stimulus. We are generation apparently trained Uh, for a very short concentration span and a desperate need for um, digital company. Ross Cameron on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. She used to dance and dream of a better life, a brighter future, with nutritious food to eat, a chance to learn, to get an education and do incredible things. Today, thanks to Children International and friends like you, she dances for the world. Together, we give children in poverty a chance to set their sights high and achieve their dreams by ensuring that they have access to healthcare, education, life skills, and more, so they can grow, thrive, and believe in themselves. Gracias. Gracias. Learn more about Children International and join us in our life-changing work at children.org today. Ladies and gentlemen, today's news talk. News and information. TNT Radio. Chris, another um, chapter of your book focuses on the loss of beauty and tradition. Now, this is an interesting idea because I think the entire Western world can relate to this idea, not just, you know, you and your experience, I can relate to it also. Um, And I'm very, very saddened by what very much is um, a degradation of beauty and tradition. But when you talk about it, what, what is it exactly that you're talking about? So one, I spent a year in Switzerland uh, in 2020, 2021. we, when we decided we to, to go and spend a year abroad, it was three weeks of flat in the curve. And then by the time we arrive, we're getting locked up in an apartment for 10 days. Uh, literally, I think we had neighbors barricade the door because they saw me slip out one stage. But then it's interesting, and I don't know if this is true of, of, of other countries uh, and cities, uh, around Europe, but you go to like the core, our, our town that we lived in, you go to the core of it, the oldest part of the town, and it's just so beautiful. Even even the like kind of new style shops and supermarkets are housed within these beautiful old buildings. And then and then uh, we were near a lake, um, Lake Geneva, a big lake. <laughs> and, then, um, and then you go up into the mountains around and there's vineyards and again, be- a layer of beauty. And then in the in the in the middle, uh, there's um, there's the the 1970s uh, style buildings, the post World War II buildings, influenced by. I was in the region where Le Corbusier, one of the major architects of the kind of new functionalism, uh, where he was operating, and you have these box retirement homes where where the old people are just kind of 
piled in. You have a, a library that's again a box with made made out of concrete and steel, um, and so that that kind of figures, uh, you know, largely as as we try to make sense. And I think it's de it's definitely a 20th century thing. It was something which emerged after World War Two as as kind of Europe is, it becomes almost an occupied place, whether it's uh, American vassal states on the west or Soviet satellites in the east. But they have similar architecture because the Cold War was almost like kind of a civil war more than more than the, the this major clash of ideologies as we as we look back, um, both materialist um, and and there was this 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 demoralization which which settled on on Europe and then even on, on where, where we grew up in in South Africa, and I and I guess my personal experience was then that where where we had these little bastions of of beauty in South Africa, whether it's your small town square, um, in in the small towns of of the Cape being great examples of them. They, you know, they, they, you see this plastic trash on the out, outskirts of all those towns nowadays, whether you are working or living at a beautiful institution, like a beautiful school or a beautiful university, and suddenly new architecture, new buildings, and everything those places stood for um, are discarded or, or seen as, as suspect. I mean, today you see online beauty is synonymous with fascism. That's the that's the that's the kind of thinking, and it and it and it and you it comes back to to uh, the idea that the left won the Cold War. I mean, I know you you, you can dispute left and right, but but the 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 anti tradition, the the forces that oppose Christendom, that oppose mm. classical inheritance, they won, and and so uh, you know the idea that the old communist architects had that that beauty was bourgeois and that we, you know, even your buildings needed just to be like functional blocks for gray proletariat a class they invented like in their minds because the working classes, uh, you know, I don't think that's what they were into, uh, you know, living in absolute ugly places. But that kind of spirit then then takes over the West. And and so you think, oh, are we just living at the end of, the, of a great cycle of, of history? Are we are we coming to the end of something? Which is, I think, one of the questions I, I, I ask in the book. Well, what answer do you think you might have? Because I, I have a suspicion we are. <laughs> well, it's quite interesting. I've been reading um, uh, Nima Parvini. I hope I'm saying his name right. He's kind of known online as the academic agent. Um, I've been reading his book, Prophets of Doom. Uh, his previous book like, had a massive influence on me. It was called The Populist Delusion. And it, it's kind of like a modern discussion of elite theory that actually elites always govern. Um, and, and it's even worse when, when liberal democracy is, and representative democracy is, is kind of proposed to you as a, as a charade because it means they're hidden. But his latest book is called Prophets of Doom. And it's about thinkers like Oswald Spengler and going back all the way to Plato even and uh, Vico, uh, Toynbee in the more modern era, who, who kind of suggest that civilizations will, will die. They're like living organisms or certainly that Spengler's view that, that, that they come to an end. Um, 
And so I, I tell a little little anecdote of sitting on a walking along a beach in the Eastern Cape uh, and just thinking, you know, as I look out into the ocean and, and Spengler believed that kind of European civilization was Faustian, that it 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 it, it viewed it, it viewed itself as as mastering infinite space. And so I'm staring at this kind of massive expanse of of ocean and I was thinking about Oswald Spengler, like only a, a strange intellectual type like myself will do. And and uh, a part of me, I kind of veer two ways. A part of me thinks to myself, yeah, this, this, you know, we're definitely coming to the end of an era where, where we've lost so much self-confidence in, or, or the, the old ways of thinking that built the things we see around us that we valued, you know, that those, those ways are, have disappeared. And a part of me, a part of me thinks, well, you know, you can't be determined it's it's almost irrelevant in a sense because you 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 are you can't live your life believing that things are predetermined you've you've got him you've got to um, i love that line in lord of the rings when gandalf says you you can't i'm going to paraphrase it you can't choose the time you live in all you can do is make the best with the time that has been given you um and even Spengler himself, he said, even if this is the end, you've got to you've got to show courage till the end, and you've got to you've got to you've got to do what can be done in in your age. And then, uh, you know, a, a part of me as a Christian sees, well, we've lived through these cycles, but but things burst upon, new things come in. There's God's providence as well. So. So everything that is that is good in the past, everything that's precious, we want to hold on to, because we don't know whether that's a seed, and you know how soon that, that seed, those seeds that we hold, that will will prove to be new life and a new spring. Yeah, I sometimes wonder whether the idea of progress for the sake of progress uh, is a completely overplayed concept. I don't think it's necessarily. A good idea to constantly want to move forward. I mean, sometimes things in the past are great. You know, certain art, for example, or certain architecture. I mean, the the, the modern architecture that we see now is grotesque. Yeah, and I, and, and I suppose that's that that's the that's the feeling we have of being at the end of something. Um, that that where is that impulse? To, to where is that energy, that vitality um, to, to create? Where is that gone? Um, and Spengler said you have to kind of just embrace that. You, you live in an age of technics. You're a child of the winter. Um, you, 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 you can't, if that energy, if that will is no longer there, if you don't have the audience for it, you, 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 can't, um, you can't bring that to be. Uh, out of nothing, but certainly to go back to your point, I, I mean, yeah, the right side of history is, is you know, is a phrase that that comes to mind that we always hear about. What does that even mean? You know, what is what 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 is what is the right side of history? Who's deciding that? Because the people who say it certainly don't believe in God or anything like that. Um, you know, it was a phrase I always associate with Obama, and, and that comes up again in the book. Like, you know, he was. He, he was meant to be this kind of like progressive 
messianic figure. We're going to finally move on. We're going to be post-racial or we're going to hear, you know, we're going to see the oceans recede and, and, you know, we're the ones we've been waiting for all of that kind of jargon he used. And like you said, it's just not true. It's just, we, we're not, we're not, we're not seeing things improve uh, around us. And that's born out of any public surveys about, you know, is life going to be better for your children? And so obviously that means, you know, that means we need to, we need to understand that the, the regime and more people need, and we do, but more people need to understand the regime is not on our side. It's not interested uh, in making life better for the everyday man or woman. Basically, what you're saying is that modernity sucks. <laughs> to a large extent, it really does. I, I, I mean, we, we've spoken a lot and you were great during like all the COVID stuff. And, you know, people will always talk about, oh, but modern medicine. And it's, and you can't, when you think, so, so, well, actually, when you, and you've shown, I've seen you talk about this a lot. When you look at the charts on, on childhood mortality, mm. it wasn't modern medicine. It was like engineering and hygiene yeah. and those kinds of things. I mean, you can't even, when you track those graphs of childhood illnesses, you can't even see where antibiotics yeah. even came in. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, um, and now we're living in a world where people are, so many people are sick, you know? So then you're like, well, what is? What, yeah, exactly. You know, but that's the point, Chris. Sorry for, for sorry for jumping in, but that's the point. I mean, so for example, you've got you've got so many American women, particularly women, on antidepressants. I mean, if this is the best time in which to be living, why are two hundred million Americans on antidepressants? For example, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, or just in so much pain. That's another thing, mm. which you know the the, the need for for painkillers and. The pharmaceutical industry that made so much money killing people with with painkillers yeah. and then the next second we're like all hail the pharmaceutical companies <laughs> as our secular saviors after they've just like been literally i mean the mm. media didn't really hide it they were they were they were you know flooding flooding those like kind of depressed little towns with with drugs that people that people took but yeah whether it's but whether it's art whether it's health there's a sense of we've lost something yeah something's through our fingers. It's, it's strange though. The, the, sorry, I'm just going to stay on this topic just for a moment. When I was in Europe, I was in, my wife and I were in Amsterdam. I think, you know, I've spoken to you about it. And um, everything works, right? As you will know, you've been to Europe. Everything works. They don't worry about electricity issues like we in Africa do. They don't worry about crime like we do. Yet, there's a sense of emptiness that I, I couldn't I couldn't help myself not notice. And coming back to, in many ways, a simpler life on the African continent, I see so much more fulfillment. I don't know, I don't know how to explain it. I, I think you know what I mean, though. Yeah, I, I, I think there's, there's a, and, and if I try to like kind of map it out historically, there, there's a sense of just absolute pessimism in Europe. Um, and yeah. and uh, I think America held on from that because they weren't, as a lot of it's World War II, isn't it? They weren't like this occupied, ravaged country afterwards. You know, they were, they were on, the, on the ascendant. And I think that's why they stayed more religious for, for a while. And now, and now that's dropping down. I'd say with the caveat, though, what I found interesting in, in Switzerland and also in, in France is that people, and maybe this is a function of, of certain things that, that are unique to South Africa, but people do, do look in general a lot healthier in South Africa, Wait. I mean, in Switzerland. 
and France than in South Africa. I mean, South Africa is a quite an unhealthy place. Um, yeah, and I think we have a lot of fat lockdowns. people. Yeah, and I think that's why lockdowns, etc. Um, seems like we've got quite a bit of, in common with England and America, just like we were we were more susceptible to kind of like Black Lives Matter and and, and COVID. Uh, and but then but 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 I thought, wow, this is something really great about certain countries in Europe. And I think they do still walk a lot. They're still outdoors a lot. Um, but that's not true for, for all of them. And I, it's, it's certainly not universal. Yeah. But in moving to Kenya, whereas Kenya also seems a lot healthier than South Africa. And and uh, it's strange, but people also seem like better looking <laughs> on average. Like, you just like, you know, the people who like are in a shop. Uh, I mean, I certainly noticed that in Switzerland, like because, you know, working in McDonald's is, is not like it, it's not you don't get paid that badly. You're like some some beautiful young woman will give you your, your burger or chips. Not that I'm huge on McDonald's, but we used to go there because we found the food mm. so strange tasting that was like, oh, at least at least this tastes similar. I mean, I quite like the Big Mac, actually. But so there are pockets in Europe, which I think which which are certainly um have some elements of health but yeah like you say there is some kind of demoralization in it and i've met people in kenya who've studied um, abroad and then decided i'm coming back to live here and there's just a sense of freedom of not being mothered yes uh, that that that's i think what i'm what i'm referring to my wife made an interesting point saying you know there's no um noticeable let's say christianity um, in much of Europe, it seems to be very dead. And yet that is where much of the heart of Christianity is rooted. Um, and I, I strongly suspect that there's a, a tight correlation between increased emptiness and lack of purpose in individuals and atheism. But that's my own contention. Yeah, that, that's certainly, and that's one of the reasons why we didn't stay in, in Switzerland was it was particularly having young children of of you know walking around our, our town again and, and you see youths <laughs> that's like just kind of shuffling around disheveled um, mm. whereas you know if you want if you want your kids to grow up well I think one of the big things in South Africa is all the outdoor stuff they do and the the physical stuff they do which is which takes you out of yourself and takes you out of some of the like angst which gets fed to you on Netflix and and uh, in kind of school curricula and 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 all that kind of thing. But yeah, in, in, in Switzerland, like this, especially we were near Geneva, which is the home of Protestantism. You know, that's where John Calvin like governed in a theocracy. And what's interesting is all the Protestant churches are empty. I mean, there's a few little charismatic churches. The Catholic churches, I think, largely because of Portuguese and I don't know immigrants. I'm, I'm not sure they they are seem to be slightly busier, but then I mean, our, the evangelical Protestant church in our town. I don't think they even had services there there anymore. But then you get in Africa. I mean, it's it's strange because a lot of the the Christianity is all, is it's passionate, but it's it's also corrupted. There's a lot of American style Pentecostalism, and I mean, I'm not I I don't have like a I love charismatics, you know, a lot of them are great. I mean, I, w I used to be one myself, which you can read about in the book, but um, but a lot of them are just that kind of prop, you know, that the guy's just milking his congregation and all of that. Mm. So there is that kind of consumerism, commercialism. So it's not like 
I don't think like Africa is is the solution. I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna be supported by the culture in 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 Africa. Mm. Although there's still some traditional, there's still some common sense. I think in a lot of the governments, but but you are going to have space. And I think that's the I think yeah. that's the advantage that people feel. There's just that sense of of space and and yeah, that that sense of humor as well, which you. Which I think you probably would have. I mean, you, maybe the Dutch are a little bit different, but the 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 Swiss and and the French people, I kind of, and I know this is horrible stereotyping of them, but it's it's quite distant. You know, there's a, there's not no, that sense listen, of irony about Chris, the on this. On this show, we don't do any stereotyping. I mean, <laughs> it's it's not our fault that that we have an, uh, two Aussies on the other side of the. Uh, of the screen, you know, uh, so there's no stereotyping going on. We just know that they drink a lot. Let me just quickly go to a break. Chris, I'll be back with you shortly. My name is Germ. This is TNT Radio. People might tell you that Lyme doesn't kill people, but we are losing people. People disappear from their lives. One of the scariest things that I had to deal with was uh, memory loss. Not just like, I don't remember what I did last week, but like, I forgot all the words to my own songs. I remember going to my primary care physician and he was like, you are 100% healthy, there's nothing wrong with you. And my response was, that's impossible, I'm dying. I wasn't working. I had all of these hospital bills. We had to move out of our home and move into my parents' basement. I just wish I could have truly been present in those big moments, you know, when she took her first steps or, you know, her first day of preschool. Lyme is such a thief and it goes undetected because no one is looking for it. For more information and prevention tips, go to projectlime.org. The thing that drives me every day as a dad is him. Every day he's hungry for something. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that he's a good person. I think the advice I would give is you don't need to know all the answers. It's okay to make mistakes. As long as it's coming from love, then it kind of starts to work itself out. You're listening to Germ Warfare with Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yeah, Chris, so we touched briefly at the beginning of our conversation about sort of identity and culture. And I want to go back to that. I want to kind of horseshoe there because it's very easy to forget about how so many things around us are downstream from culture. You know, we constantly talk about the war in Ukraine or Israel, Gaza or, or COVID even. It's all sort of geopolitical to some degree. But at the end of the day, one of the most fundamental parts of our existence is our identity. And a lot of that, most of that is derived from our sort of cultural identity. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, definitely. And with a, with a kind of slight rejoinder that, that culture can be maybe not generated, but certainly attacked or decayed through law. So through politics and, and I think, and I think, you know, if you, if you just look at, at COVID, how many people were willing to, to just comply because, oh, this is the rule. Yeah. This is the rule. Most, most people will just bow to power, you know? Um, and, 
you know, whether it's whether it was when kind of like the the ideals of of socialism were ascendant, when you know, rainbowism became became dominant in South Africa, a a, a lot of people are are willing to to forsake beliefs, values, practices. If if somebody who's in power tells them tells them what to do, I mean that's kind of like what Americanism is, you know, the the LGBT empire they have, where uh, you know something I always found astounding is is and you, this is certainly true in South Africa, but California is like voted against when they've had referendums on it, they've voted against gay marriage and affirmative action, but it's like proper based. The moment, yeah, the moment it's put into law or it's and then it gets into Hollywood, it gets into the sitcoms, and then suddenly, how dare you question this? I mean, in South Africa, if they had to do referendums on the death penalty, on abortion, maybe even affirmative action in South Africa, I don't know. Um, you know, you would you would have. You, you know, you you would see the discordance with the elites who run the country, and and what the citizens generally believe they, uh, you know, in their daily lives. Yet they still will line up and and vote for those people and and support yeah, those it's people. weird. It's so strange. Well, life, it's hierarchical. Life is hierarchical. Uh, yeah, that, that's how it works. You you know. Yeah, and, don't you? Uh, don't you get annoyed when people say, oh, I'm just a citizen of the world? I mean, that, that sort of thing really bugs me. Yeah, and, and, and when people, you know, I, I caught this a lot over the last three years, when, when people are like, just, you just got to accept this is the way it is now. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> oh, okay. I really don't. I really don't. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't have to take the knee. That, that mm. was 2020. I'm, I don't have to. I have a choice not to, not to do mm. it, and I, and I think what what's important is that there are there are there are people, you know, not like I'm 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 just a guy, you know, kind of who speaks and writes on the internet yeah. a little bit, but but there are people who who are carving out space for others to to say no, you don't need to do this. You can be part of something else. Uh, you, you don't yeah. need to, to be sorry. I love what um, the line from Flip Bass. Uh, from solidarity, you know, solidarity movement. Where he says we are, uh, he says in a nice Afrikaans pithy phrase, better than my translation. But we are allowed to be on our own side. You know, we don't, yeah. we don't, we don't need to. You, you can, you can be for yourself, for your own people, and and that's, you know, that's that's kind of one of the, the other reasons why. I, yeah. I in, in fact, Chris, I, I've actually, and I, I think you have probably gone down the same journey as as I. Uh, but I've moved away from that hyper-individualism idea. Uh, the COVID era showed me that if, if, you, if you sort of harbor that sort of libertarian, anarchist, um, utopian ideal of how things should be, what you're essentially doing is kind of maintaining the status quo. Uh, you're, you're, you're not actually, as you say, carving out a space for, for other people. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I've, when we were involved in a little bit of a of the, 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 that um, X argument with one of one of our South African libertarians, and mm. I think you know, thinking about it, your your what you said was that you just you're just living in your head. You know, this is just like some kind of theory. You know, I think people on X call them theory cells. You know, not incels, theory cells. But I think it's because they start with they they start with politics, 
and that's the lens through which they see everything and not not what it is to be human you know humans are yeah. born into families we we're we're taught we're told what to do we we never exist on our on our own we we live in in our flesh we have bodies you know and it's just now suddenly putting putting something on the capping it all off that now we're going to live in some kind of libertarian uh, utopia uh, is it, it's it doesn't make sense and i mean at best at worst like you say you're just you're just complicit in this kind of great dissolution of uh, of of everything good that's take that took place in 2020 when you're just at the mercy of of the state really because there's nothing between you and the state mm. what is that example that you were actually using in that spat uh oh right it was that satanic statue which i think is <laughs> absolutely absurd that anybody would would defend it you know particularly in, in, a, in a society that is supposedly not secular well that's the thing and, and i mean it a lot of I think a lot of Americans are talking about this because you know if you go to the the idea of separation of church and state, which the American founding fathers, you know, which which they, you know, they they obviously kind of built into their constitutional order. You know, for them that was just meant Protestant or Catholic or different type of Protestant. They never in their wildest dreams <laughs> assumed that, that okay, well, if you want to be a Satanist and like have statues of Satan in, in Congress. And and I think that that that's not only a flaw of people today where you can't just stand up for like what's good and healthy and beautiful, but you you it was also a flaw in, in the in the kind of the, the architects of of modern states from two or three hundred years ago is they univer they they couched what was particular to them in, in universal ways. So so the language that they used in their in their texts and in their in kind of their jurisprudence assumed that they made assumptions about about who would be participating in their constitutional order, that there would there would always exist some kind of consensus on outlook and culture, and and just social life, which now no longer exists. So now you have you you know that that neutrality of the state, which is always which is always a myth, just gets seized by by people who who. Um, you know, who want to celebrate? I mean, it's a troll, the satanic statue. I, I don't think it was put. I think it was put there by somebody who is probably an atheist, but he's he's trolling. And now we have to allow trolls to to seize our institutions because the constitution. You know, which what is that anyway? You know, it's a piece of paper. I mean, that's that's from the American American point of view. But it's the same in South Africa because I mean, in the South African constitution, it's commit. It actually says we're committed to non-racialism. You know, for example, which, which mm. you, you know, that th that means nothing because it's who interprets the constitution. You know, that's yeah. that's that's the truth. That's the true. Well, I mean, constitutional right of assembly around the world. What happened to that in twenty twenty? No, I mean, well, I mean, that's why I've made the argument that uh, the word democracy doesn't mean anything um, on a country level. I mean, you can have democratic processes happening here in your community or whatever but i think democracy with a capital d doesn't exist we've come to we've come to realize that 
Yeah, and, and even like the Athenian democracy, if you go back in time, it's, I mean, it, what they call democracy, I mean, would be considered fascism by liberals today, or, or, you know, like lefties or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, yeah. Communists, whatever. So, and that Athenian Them. democracy is like rigid <laughs> as to who could, yeah, who could, who could participate and, and all of that. But yeah, I, I think, you know, guys like Curtis Yarvin and, and those guys who say it, it just doesn't exist. It's, it, there's always somebody um, in, in the, in, in charge, you know, there's. He calls uh, it the cathedral, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not quite sure about, about everything he says, but certainly he was, you know, some of his big ideas that he got, he got back into the, the conversation about authority and, and how societies are run are, are really, really useful. So the, the cathedral kind of, yeah, rules, rules the state. I think it's better just to call them elites. I, I think, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the, the more obvious, always historically true um, term for them. Yeah. Uh, so, what did he? It's been a while now. What did he define as the cathedral or the elites? It was a. It was essentially acad academia plus media, I think, and media. Yeah, the civil service, I think, and um, and me and the media, and and basically, I, like I think Harvard is quite important from like the Ivy League. That it's all centered uh, around around those institutions. That then, that then, you know, people pass through universities, banks, government, media. Like it's, it's just a, a, a nexus of people. And so, like for example, Trump never had any power. That's that's what he would say. Like, what the presidency is in that world is almost nothing. Um, you know, I wonder. Like, if you want to nuke somebody, I don't know. Would they actually fulfill? Would they go through it? Maybe. Maybe he can still nuke. Maybe the president can still can still do that. But probably not. Actually. Listen, as we're coming in just for the last uh, the last lap here, looking at the time, I mean, since you mentioned Trump, let me just quickly ask you: Do you think he's gonna he's gonna get a second term? Yeah, I mean, I, I would have loved to have chatted more twenty twenty four predictions, but I I'm almost coming around, and, and I saw um, I've seen a few people say this online that it just seems it seems unstoppable at this point. I mean, the 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 polls which or always waited the other way are, are showing him in the lead. Um, and, you know, it's always entertaining to talk about American politics, even though we're not, we're not Americans. It's kind of like, you know, Rome, like looking at the center of the empire, but, but it seems, yeah, I don't know. It seems unstoppable. And, and I almost wonder if, if we're going to see a little bit less wokeness, they're going to allow Trump, they're going to close the borders a little bit more because too many people are questioning the elite class, questioning their regime, and they actually need to pull back a little bit. Will they use Trump as a kind of like containment tool? You know, let Trump in and show that, well, maybe we are a democracy. Maybe we hear you. Maybe, you know, maybe like what people have been saying about COVID and wokeness and all of that, maybe we've put that away for a start. And maybe that will be a good thing, even if it is a cynical move on the part of media and the courts and and so forth in america but then a part of me also thinks and we've been talking a little bit about weather and climate you know maybe 2020 i think a lot of it was motivated by trump and in particular i think a lot of it goes back to climate change i think when america pulled out of the paris climate treaty it was like how do we get how do we get this back on track mm -hmm. 
and maybe we need a pan, you know, then the pandemic. It's the biggest. The yeah. It's actually the so, biggest. Uh, uh, so Thierry Baudet refers to it as a mega trend. Mm. So then what happens? And I remember a few months ago on CNN seeing like news reports about a heat wave in China and it was like the temperature was 36 degrees. And I thought, what, what is this? <laughs> why, why is this news? And, and I, part of me thinks, do we have a, have a climate pandemic in July, in Northern Hemisphere summer? Could that be what happens in 2024? And then you can do all sorts of things like you did with the pandemic. You can bring in race. You can bring in mass. You can talk about immigration there. You can talk about lockdowns again in there. So, yeah, do we have containment where things soften up a bit for a while to, to bring down the criticism levels? Or do we have full escalation? Um, I don't know. I, don't, I, don't, I think things are out of control a little bit as well. And I think we've seen that with the Palestinian stuff where, where mm. people, you know, the, the kind of ruling ideology, there's contradictions in it, which are being pushed together. You look at a place going back to Harvard, you see the contradictions there where they don't quite know who they are. Are they like pro-liberation politics, pro-Palestine? Uh, or are they Zionist? And it's almost like the, the, the big Zionists have opened doors, which they don't know how to close now. Um, so yeah, it's, it's chaos. It's chaos. And then we've got the South African elections in April. Um, it's, it's, it's incredibly hard to predict. But, but, um, but yeah, as it stands now, it's impossible to see how Trump loses bar massive escalation of electoral fraud or some kind of huge public emergency. Um, time is very fast running against us. Quickly, how can I follow you? So I, I'm uh, at chriswaldberger.substack.com is, is, is where I write and is where you can where find my book. You can find my book on Amazon if you search for my name or search for Rage and Love. Hopefully it comes up. Hopefully the algorithms haven't learned to dislike me yet um, and then um, I am on Twitter too just Chris Waldberger at Chris Waldberger I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to be on social media actually I, I, I wasn't on it for a long time when my Substack was actually doing quite well and sometimes I don't know I'll see how it goes this year but I'm there for now Chris Waldberger thank you for joining me in the trenches again thank you so much for having me and uh, yeah hope you have a great year and um, I'm listen, sure I'm going to invite you back because I, I want to chat to you about uh, predictions of 2024. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to think I'm going to bring you back soon, uh, sooner than later, actually, if that's okay with and you. And, and you know what? I won't hedge. I'll just give some, I'll put, I'll put my, I'll put something on the line. Good stuff. Um, that Great. now, see, now that's what I like. That's what I like. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Alex and Joel. As always, uh, send me an email, Jim Warfare at tntradio.live. Uh, give me some feedback. Tell me what you thought of the conversation. Give me ideas for guests. Um, got a great, great lineup coming up soon. Um, going to be chatting about polar bears on Thursday for the first time on my show. Uh, and climate change. There's a lovely angle. Polar bears. It's one of those weird talking points that nobody knows much about. Um, okay. I think that's, that is all my housekeeping, Alex. Shall we do this? Okay, cool. I'll see you tomorrow. My name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas.